Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2202. That's a lot of twos. Today we're going to be talking about hot rods, 75 years of hot rods and Peterson Publishing. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in La Crescenta, Los Angeles, with a very special guest by the name of Drew Harden. Drew, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Let's dump the clutch and get on it. Yeah, there we go. Leave some stripes, as they say. We're going to be talking about hot rods today, a history of hot rods, and a history of Peterson Publishing. But first, I'm going to ask you this question, Drew. What's one little thing that people don't know about Drew Harden? Well, I've been doing automotive journalism basically my entire career. But when I turned 50 a few years ago, I kind of discovered endurance sports Um, My doctor told me I had to change my lifestyle. I had to quit being so sedentary. And so I kind of got outside and started running and cycling and hiking. And I've done a couple of marathons, an ultra marathon. I cycle with some buddies a couple, three times a week. And um, tomorrow, actually, I'm going to go help my stepson through his first ultra marathon. He's going to run 100 miles this weekend. 100 miles. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, first and foremost, my hat's off to you for making that change. That's a hard thing to do when you're 50 years old. You know, you're kind of used to your ways. We work hard. I have the same thing, sitting at a desk way too much. Nowadays, we're in front of these computer boxes far too much. Other than the doctor saying, hey, dude, wake up. You got to take care of yourself. I mean, a lot of doctors say that to people. They go home and for a week they try to do stuff and then they never follow through. What was it that got you to ignite and then proceed, if you will, on this trek that sounds like you've done for a while now? I have. You know what? He really woke me up when he said, you're going to have a second terrible, or excuse me, he said, you're going to have a terrible second half of your life if you don't change your lifestyle. And at that point, I did not have grandkids, but I knew I wanted them. And I wanted to be the kind of grandpa that chased them around and played with them and and not the one that was stuck in a chair, you know. So um, that was really a motivator. For me to, to change diet, to move my body more, and, and it stuck. I'm, I'm fortunate it did. Do you have success with this by allocating specific times of the day or tasks? Because a lot of people, they get stuck and they go, well, I got a little more work to do, a little more work, and then it's six o'clock, seven o'clock, and then uh, I'm tired and I'll do it tomorrow. Do you block out time spots, kind of like a calendar, to make sure that you do this? Yes, yes. I, I do this. Um, my weekly stuff I do in the mornings without fail. Uh, I'm an early riser that helps. Like this morning, I rode 20 miles with my friends um, and we met at six. I mean, it was still dark. It was cold. I mean, for LA standards, it was cold. But we're all of the mind of if we don't do it now, we won't do it. So we get it done before we go to work and uh, then it's done. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, proud of you, buddy. <laughs> it's <laughs> a hard you. thing to do. Hard to train us old dogs new tricks, but oh, so important. Uh, absolutely. They say these computers are the new C word for cancer. Sedentary life is no good for anybody. So uh, uh, I'll use you as an inspiration. Uh, when I As soon as we're done, I'm going to go do my workout. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, it's always easy to stay and work, but 
yeah, important to take care of ourselves. Well, let me yeah. give you a proper introduction. Drew Harden started working in the automotive journalism business when he was in college in the late 70s. He joined Peterson Publishing, yeah, that famous place, in 1986 as a staff editor for Four Wheel and Off-Road Magazine. And since then, he has served as editor and editorial director for several publications, including Hot Rod, and as a contributor to many others. His expertise ranges from vintage hot rods to classic muscle cars to 4x4s and alternative fuel vehicles. Vehicles. His latest book, which I've got in my hands here today, is titled Hot Rod Magazine, The Definitive and Official 75-Year History, and is published by my friends at Motor Books. It is the officially licensed anniversary celebration of the world's longest continuously published and best-known automotive magazine ever. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors, so sit tight. We'll be talking hot rods and all sorts of fun stuff today with Drew, so we'll be right back. Covercraft offers you 10 different options. That's right, 10 for your special vehicle's protections. You can choose from WeatherShield HP, HD, Sunbrella, Ultratect, Reflect, FormFit, Custom View Shield, and their newest five-layer all-climate, three-layer moderate climate, and five-layer indoor options. All are custom-tailored by Covercraft's talented craftspeople just for you. It's the form and fit with the quality and attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Surface protection is the best way to preserve the investment you've made in your vehicles. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft too. I have a Covercraft cover for every one of my vehicles, and I have a deal for you. If you use the code yeah 21 at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off. Just use the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Most people don't think about their collector car insurance until their annual premium becomes due. Well, why wait and see if there are better options for your beloved rides? I didn't. Did you know if you change carriers before your policy runs out, your insurance company has to refund you the unearned portion of your policy premium? I did my homework, I shopped around, and I found American Collectors Insurance. They've been protecting collector vehicles since 1976. I encourage you to call my friends at American Collectors Insurance. Ask them about their agreed value policy. And if your collector vehicle is on your regular auto policy, you will be shocked at the savings, not to mention the assurance, should something bad happen to your ride, that you'll get what your vehicle is actually worth. Give them a call today for a quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 866- 224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. Give them a call today. Fall is here, and you know what that means. Time to put a good coat of protection on your vehicle. I'm teamed up with AutoGeek, and they've been the leading source of auto detailing products, accessories, and expert knowledge for more than 20 years. What started back in 1997 as a small mail-order catalog company grew into a multi-website-based e-commerce store, and that's what they are today. With a large online presence on its own website featuring close to 100 different brands, AutoGeek has grown to be the largest car care retailer in the country. AutoGeek's wholesale program serves accounts in over 30 countries, and its retail sector ships worldwide. If you want to protect your vehicle this fall, and you should, go to AutoGeek.net for the best product selection on the internet today. 
and technical support. AutoGeek.net is where I go for my detailing needs. That's AutoGeek.net. So, Drew, let's first let's take us on a bit of a journey with your career because this is a very long career in publishing and authoring and writing and all of this. Obviously, you have a passion for cars. So tell us about how you first got into this and and what's created a passion for you throughout your life. And then we're going to get into this new book because it is awesome. Well, thank you. You know, for a long time, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. You know, like so many people, you kind of ping pong around with different ideas. And I got into college and found that I had an aptitude for writing. My English classes came easier than just about anything else. And I like creative writing. And back when I was a kid, my dad kind of started nurturing in me a love for cars. You know, he took me to car shows. He bought me Hot Wheels. He himself owned a 51 Morgan, the British sports car. Oh, wow. I would help him work on it a little bit. We'd go to car shows. And at one point, I realized, you know, wouldn't it be cool to combine those two things, my aptitude for writing and my interest in cars? I mean, I'd been reading car magazines for most of my life and thought, well, someone's doing this job. You know, I might as well see if I can. And a, a friend of my father's named Bob Semich knew a man who was publishing a small local collector car magazine here in the West called Coast Car Collector. And I started as a freelancer for him, wrote a couple stories for him. And when I graduated from college, I actually went to work for that small magazine. And it was one of those things where I did literally everything from going to car shows, doing car features, to sweeping the floors and cleaning the toilets. Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, which gave me a really good foundation to then take on to, you know, bigger and better jobs. Wound up at, at Peterson in 1986. I didn't know that four by fours were going to be my entree into this world. I was not a four wheel drive person prior to that, but I think they hired me because I had a, a strong journalism foundation and figured, you know, that I could learn about the niche. And I loved it. I mean, it's probably one of my favorite jobs because I just love driving off road. I got to go to off road races and meet interesting people and then kind of moved up through the Peterson hierarchy working at different magazines until the year 2000 when EMAP purchased the company. And I was one of many people that were just let go. They did a management change and I was out. But ever since then, I have freelanced for multiple publications still within that company, uh, but then also other clients as well. I do work for SEMA. I do work for PRI, do some work for Mecham, the auction company, uh, work for Wheel Hub Magazine, Truck Hub. So I've been able to keep it going. I consider myself kind of a print dinosaur I'm, I'm not really tracked into uh, social media much. I don't do I'm, most of what I write. I write for print, but it winds up online, if you know what I mean. So and, I, and I've been fortunate enough to find clients that allow me to keep working in the print space, even though it's, you know, that space is becoming smaller. It is for sure. It's changing too, though. I have several publications. One's an advertiser here, Linkage Magazine, that comes out of Audrain uh, that we do. Triple Zero is another example. Avance. Uh, uh, there's several others that have changed their format. Even Road and Track, you know, they've changed their whole format. And uh, it's interesting what's happening. I kind of don't like it because I love books and I love reading and so forth. But at the same time, it's a different world and people want things different. So that's the way it is. So let's talk about this book project that you've done for Motorbooks. Motorbooks has brought many great 
publishers, writers, and authors to this show. And when I got this book, it's a huge book, by the way. I mean, it's a lot of pages, I think 200, a little over 200 pages. 200 pages, yeah. Yeah. And it really took me on a wonderful nostalgia walkthrough. For you listeners, you know uh, what age I am. So Drew and I are from the same era. We would have gone to high school together if we'd been in the same school district. And uh, I just read, it brings me back. It brings me fun. So how did the whole project come to fruit? Not to fruition. We'll get to that in a moment, but how did it come about? And then let's talk a little bit about the process of how do you take 75 years of something and put it into only 200 pages? That, that was one of the hardest things. I have spent a lot of time working around Peterson's history and Hot Rod's history. I've spent a lot of time in the Peterson photo archive. A lot of the stories that I've done have been archival and historical stories for various publications. So actually, a little over 10 years ago, Motorbooks approached me with a project they wanted to do also about Hot Rod Magazine, but focused on all of its covers. And so it was a look at Hot Rod's history by writing something about every cover of every issue. So I did that for them. And then uh, when the 75th anniversary of the magazine came along, they actually approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in in writing, you know, this history. And I said, yes. And so that then started what turned out to be a more than year-long process, doing the research, trying to figure out what I could cram into those. I mean, 200 pages is a lot of pages. And to write tens of thousands of words to a guy who's used to writing thousand-word stories is huge. But I did find you're absolutely right. There's so much to say about Hot Rod because it was such a part of automotive performance in in very key periods of history that I really could have written a book that would be easily twice as long. And there, unfortunately, a lot of things had to wind up just cutting room floor. You know, I just didn't have room. Yes, I say. So as you compile this, obviously you take categories by year. That's how we go through a 75-year period of time. And as you are putting this whole thing together, do you have periods of time that you're more fond of? Because we all, you know, you and I lived through the same kind of time period. We were little kids. We were in the 60s, high school, college in the 70s. And then the 80s came, things changed and so forth. Is there a period of time that you found that was really uh, kind of pulled your heartstrings more than any other? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I started when I started the book, I started writing it with the chapter on the 1960s because I have a real affinity for the decade. A lot happened to the magazine during that period. And so I figured I should start with a period of time that I'm familiar with that would be fairly easy to research and then go out from there. So I started in the 1960s and then rolled all the way through the 2020s before then backfilling and then writing this short chapter about the 40s and then the, and then the 1950s. So you obviously knew Robert Peterson, worked around him and with him back in the day? I, I did. You know, it's interesting. David Freiberger, who was the editor and editor-in-chief for actually more issues than anyone else, uh, he and I just spoke the other night at um, Pat Ganahl's memorial service. Oh, Pat okay. was another editor who passed away recently in a, a drag racing accident. And we were talking about the fact that we're probably two of the few still around to have been at Peterson when Mr. Peterson was still there. You know, so I, that's that's one of the things that I, I think I brought to the book was I know and have worked with people from the entire historical timeline of Howard Magazine from when it started in the 40s all the way up to now. I mean, I'm, I'm actually still freelancing for the magazine now. Wow. So, you know, knowing those people and, and being able to like being able to pick up the phone and call Alex Zidius 
who founded SoCal Speed Shop and was an absolute pioneer. You know, I think that really helped bring a dimension to the book that someone younger than me, I don't know how else to put it, you know, but someone who came along later wouldn't have that kind of perspective. Almost like putting a family history together because our work is so much of our life. We spend so many hours doing our work and you've been fortunate to be around so many cool people in the the entire industry. You must have felt like you were kind of writing a family history. Yes, in, in, in a lot of different ways. In fact, David and I have in common that we both met our wives while working at Peterson Publishing. Oh, really? Wow. Yes, yes. So we both have what, what David calls Peterson Brides. <laughs> That's very cool. Well, you know, a lot of people that go to the Peterson Museum now in Los Angeles uh, that are younger have no idea this whole history of that name and what that meant and what it was all about. They just look at it as this wild, crazy ribbon building full of cool cars, right? Right. There's so much behind this. uh, And you've done a wonderful job of capturing so much of that, the fun and joy of that and what that magazine has brought to so many people. I can't tell you how many people I've had on the show that first started reading that magazine. And that's what kicked it off for them. Uh, I'm one of them. My next door neighbor was an FBI agent. He loved cars and he used to give me his old magazines and Hot Rod was one of them. And so there you go. And I grew up in Southern California. So thinking this guy was like right up the road in LA doing all this stuff was pretty fun. I like to ask about influential people, mentors in your lives. Was there somebody like that in your life that really helped you with your career? Well, you know what? I was not, I didn't know him that well. You know, I I sat in meetings with him, but, but I can't say that I was influenced by him directly. One person I would want to mention, as I just did, was Alex Zidius. Um, he's from a different generation. You know, he, he just turned 100 this year. And he's an amazingly gracious, generous, humble man. Despite everything he's done and everything he's accomplished, he always has time to talk to me, always has time to educate me. He was flattered that I would put him in my book. And I'm like, Alex, are you kidding? You, <laughs> I know. You are a pioneer. <laughs> you're a you legend. Know, you're, yeah, you're a legend. And but I don't know that he thinks of himself that way. And so, you know, I learned I learned a lot about not only about hot rodding history from him, but also about kind of trying to emulate him and being gracious and being, you know, taking time with people and just to trying to to be more like that, I guess, than a lot of people are these days where where it can be very brusque and very short and and, you know, the interpersonal relationships aren't, aren't quite what I would like them to be. What were some of the funnest things about putting this book together for you? I, I, there's an immense amount of work that goes into putting a book together. But what, what were some of the parts that you just like, this is so cool? I did a lot of research at the Peterson Photo Archive, or the Peterson Archives, I guess is a better way to put it, because it's not just photos, uh, which is housed at the Peterson Museum. Uh, it's down in the basement. And when I was working there with Laura Fisher, one day she opened a drawer and pulled out a hand-drawn mock-up of the very first issue of the magazine oh, wow. that was created in 1947. Wow. And that still exists. And, and it was, you know, paper on pencil. And I got to see where they were thinking about putting stories and the advertisers that were going in it. And they had typed in there the bones of the very first editorial column that set out Hot Rod's mission statement which was to be about cars that have been improved for appearance and performance. And that was just such a relic to me of this magazine's history. And to realize that it still existed was just kind of mind-blowing. 
Well, yeah, exactly. I, I remember hearing stories about, say, the Disney studios of trash bins full of those uh, hand-drawn pieces of their animation that they just tossed out after yes. they were done copying them and so forth. And people would go behind the Disney studios and crawl in their dumpsters and pick these things out, you know, and yep. keep them and so forth. And now they're highly collectible. So it's cool to know that they've saved all of that over the time. Uh, the publication itself... When you think about how you how you had to research this, were there some processes that were different than maybe other publications you've done or magazines or books, I should say, that you've done that were required because of kind of trying to put together a massive amount of history? You know, I wasn't really sure how to tackle it other than to I sat down and I literally paged through every issue of every magazine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why it took so darn long. <laughs> Well, the, the, yeah, you get overwhelmed with, well, what do I, I mean, the hard part is what do I leave out? Right, exactly. And so what I would do is for, for every decade, I would take copious notes about what I saw in the magazine, and then I would go back and try to tease out what are the trends. I mean, obviously, I, I can't talk about everything, but I, I would tease out trends for the various decades and then go back and, and flesh out those trends with with examples of stories and quotes from the magazine and photos from the magazine I mean, that's one of the reasons that I started with the 60s was because to me, that was a, a really easy one in terms of those trends, because it was a decade of muscle cars. It was a decade of, you know, the Hemi engine. It just so so many things were, were easy to, to kind of tap and, and you know, draw into the book. And then I used that chapter as kind of a framework then for the chapters to come. You know, in the in our pre-show chat before we started recording this show, we talked a little bit about this evolution of hot rods. And I want to bring us into the current status of hot rodding, because in my mind, there's still hot rodding going on. And I'm not talking about resto mods or things. I'm talking about what people are doing with cars now. And you can think about series like the Fast and the Furious as more modern day hot rods, if you will. But there's also this other generation of people reimagining old cars and putting new transmissions and better brakes and bigger engines in them and so forth. What's your opinion of what's how you, I, let me rephrase that. How would you define the current day hot rodder? Wow, that's a really good question. I mean, <laughs> that's a tough one, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, again, if you go back to what Hot Rod Magazine said back in 1948, it was cars that were modified for better performance and appearance, which is a, that's a, that's a pretty broad statement. Right. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, so if you use that as your definition, then technically any car that's been modified is a hot rod. Um, I don't know that everyone's going to agree that that's, you know, when you think of a quintessential hot rod, you don't necessarily think of a land cruiser with a mod motor in it. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I would argue that that is definitely a hot rod. And, and it's a very interesting trend, what you're talking about, because it, it's like these classic envelopes, the classic body styles that are being updated with these modern drivetrains so that you can drive something that looks like a first generation Bronco or a first generation land cruiser and yet have, you know, bone stock reliability plus performance and so you get, it's kind of a best of both worlds thing. It's interesting to me how broad that movement has become. I just saw the other day that there's going to be a truck at SEMA that's like a 1977 F-250, <laughs> which, I mean, to me, that's kind of like a used truck. Right. You know, not, not to denigrate. I, I don't mean to do that at all, but, but I don't think of that as hot rod fodder. Right. And yet they've completely restored the car. They put in a modern drivetrain and it will go anywhere, do anything with that classic look. 
you know, and, and I'm, I'm kind of a traditional guy and I, I love those old body styles. So personally, I think that's great. It'll be fun. We'll take a short break and thank our sponsors. We come back. I want to talk a little bit about some of the biggest challenges you faced putting this book together. So keep that thought set in your mind and we'll be right back. You've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine here on Cars, yeah, for a couple of years now. Well, they're growing. And in 2023, they're going to grow from four issues a year to six. And there's an opportunity here for you to take advantage of this growth. If you go to LinkageMag.com and click on the Renew button, if you already subscribe, you can get a great deal. Use the code RENEW6 for one year and you'll get six issues for the price of four or Type in Renew 12 for two years where you also have a great savings. Plus, they'll even throw in a free Linkage hat. How cool is that? The publisher of Linkage is Donald Osborne. He's been a guest multiple times here on Cars Yeah. He's become a good friend of mine. And I'll tell you, Linkage Magazine is one of those newer magazines that you're going to want to get. It's all about experiences, opinions, and values. It's a wonderful publication, something I look forward to getting. And now that I'm going to be getting six a year, even more special. So go to linkagemag.com. Again, use the code RENEW6 or RENEW12 to get that special deal. Do it before December 31st, 2022, so that in 2023, you'll get six issues of Linkage Magazine instead of four. You know what? We are all wired differently, and not everyone needs to go to a four-year university. Technical education and the skilled trades matter, and one can build a solid career as an auto, diesel, or collision technician. There are no longer blue-collar jobs. They're new-collar careers as the technology and skill sets have become so advanced. Support career and technical education by getting involved with TechForce Foundation. It's a Cars Yeah! charity of choice. Learn more at techforce.org. So I like the challenge question. It's typically geared around somebody's life or their career, but I'd like to focus maybe your challenge question more on what was the biggest challenge in putting this book together, this enormous 75 years history of hot rodding? Well, one challenge, as I mentioned, was just sifting through all the material and then trying to, to tease out what to write about. Finding images was not always easy because not everything is in the archive. There were years. In fact, Bob DeLevo actually first started cataloging photo jobs in 1955. So the magazine lived from 1948 until 1955 with no means of organizing its its materials. And so trying to find photos from that period is very difficult. And, and you just kind of come upon them. They're stuck in a drawer somewhere. From 1955 on, everything's very organized. And if you know the system, it's easier to find things. And, and I will say, as you were talking about with the Disney Studios and the animators throwing away their cells, that happened at Peterson Publishing. There, there were regimes at the company that didn't care so much about its history and saw in its buildings valuable space that was being taken up by this old stuff. And so things would get thrown in the dumpster. And then the guys who knew what was going on would go to those dumpsters and pull them out. And and so there are some of these valuable old photographs and artwork that only survives because it was literally taken out of the dumpster. Wow. So it, I couldn't, I have to say, there would be times where I wanted to illustrate a particular car or a particular story and couldn't find the photo I wanted. So then I'd have to research some other way to, to show that or um, go to a different story. So it was just very time consuming, you know, to find all that stuff. Um, 
But it was fun, too. I mean, when you were talking to me about the fun things, the discoveries were fun. There was a picture that Pat Ganahl took in 1985 of Ed Roth and Von Dutch standing together at one of the Ratfink reunions, which um, back then was done just to reunite all the stripers and the, the painters that worked with Roth at the time. And to get these two guys together in a photo was, I thought, was just awesome. And I wanted to have it for the book. And when I actually found that photograph in the archive, it was like, that was a huge deal for me. It's, <laughs> and, and it's funny, it didn't doesn't run very big in the book, but I think those who know who those guys are will appreciate, you know, being able to see that. Yeah, that moment. Well, and you think about today, we all have cameras in our hands with our phones. I mean, you think of the history that's being recorded in the last 10, 15 years and what will be recorded in the future compared to what in the past. And I've people ask me about cars I had when I was in high school and I have maybe one picture of it or two. Right. You know, just not that many. And uh, you're a, a grandfather. I'm a grandfather. And the, the documentation of these children's growth in life is going to be so huge yeah. <laughs> later on, you know, and easy to keep, too. You don't have shoeboxes full of images uh, to cut. You know, when my father passed away, I went and had all these pictures. I'm like, what am I going to do with all these things? Uh, there's like, I don't want to, I just can't throw them away, but digitize them, of course. That's so uh, you ship them off and have them digitized. But yeah, times have certainly, certainly changed. You know, while we're talking about challenges, I'm going to, I'm going to poise a question for you. EV hot rods. Is that a thing? Will that be a thing? Is that, do I dare say that without people turning this podcast off? Yeah, this this um we may just alienate some of your listeners and if, and I I apologize I don't mean to, but I think yes, absolutely. They are pushing the boundaries of performance harder than just about anything that we've seen, you know, in years and and because of torque Right, because oh, of the gosh. instantaneous torque, the mountains of torque you get from these electric motors that allows them to accelerate like they do. If if an electric motor made noise, this would be a moot point. But it's the fact that that you know a top fuel dragster hits you in the chest when it leaves, right? And it leaves you standing there crying. When when a when an EV dragster leaves, it just runs away sounding like an RC car. Yeah. Yawn. And, and there's, there, well, that's the thing. I, people can't get passionate about something that they can't hear. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but you know what I mean? That 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 is such a visceral part of motorsports that it's overshadowing the performance aspect of what EVs can do. So um, it could be a generational thing. It could be a demographic thing that once us old timers – Kind of get out yeah. of the way, yeah. you know, and, and people like my kids and their kids, I think once they don't have that bias, for lack of a better word, they may better appreciate the performance out of an electric vehicle. Well, it's, you know, I think about as you say that I grew up a surfer in Southern California and we used to surf at a place called Black's Beach and it was right down from the college I went to UCSD and there's these 300 foot cliffs. And in the mornings you'd go out there for dawn patrol, you know, surf before you had to go to class and the sun's coming up and the dolphins are jumping. Well, there's this little place called Miramar Naval Air Station where the F-14s would take off in the morning to go out over the ocean. Right. And they would, you'd be sitting there and you couldn't hear them coming because of that cliff. And they would shoot over your head. And then a few seconds later, the sound would come on. Now, when they first went over, you go, whoa. But then when that sound hit you and then they hit their afterburners and that blue glow would come from them out over the ocean and that repercussion, concussion of the sound yeah, we're just so used to that in our lives. Yep. 
And not not having that puts you in a different place. Like that's why I said yawn. It's like, well, that's cool. It's going so fast. But uh, okay, I want to hear something. But you're right. Young kids will grow up with it and it, it'll just be the way it is. I think it'll be the way it is. Yeah. Interesting you mentioned the F-14s just really quickly. Where I live is close enough to the Rose Bowl that before the Rose Parade in the morning, when they, the Air Force does the flyovers, mm-hmm. the stealth bombers kind of circulate over our house before they fly down the parade route. And it's the same thing. When the stealth bombers are coming at the house, you can't hear them. Oh, when they're pulling away from the house, man, are those things loud. Yeah. <laughs> not stealthy at all. They're pretty cool. Yeah, I've seen a few flyover events I've been at, and they just make your skin go, whoa, because they just look like these giant sea creatures, you know, coming over yes. the top of you. Very, very cool. So right. I want to talk a little bit about, I always ask my guests about special vehicles in their lives. If you think about this book you put together, and if you had to pick one special vehicle from the book that really tugged on your heartstrings as you were putting this book together, what vehicle was that and why? I know it's like picking your favorite child. Impossible. Yeah, yeah. One car. <laughs> no, you know what? Actually, that's not a difficult question to answer when I think about it. I was fortunate to work with Gray Baskerville when I was at Hot Rod, who is just legendary. I mean, um, as a, a staff member, his writing was unique. He had a unique point of view. Everyone knows him, knew him. Everyone loved Gray. Gray taught me about the photo archive, which has helped me in my career immensely since then. And before my time, Gray used to drive his 32 Roadster to work every day. Oh, nice. It was a car that he bought from a friend. The friend of his sold it to Gray for a dollar because the friend had gotten too many tickets street racing in the car. So Gray bought it and drove it for years. He took it on the very first power tour. Drove it from Los Angeles to Norwalk, Ohio. Oh, um, my goodness. Yeah. You know, it, it, and so early on in my tenure at Hot Rod, Gray took me for a ride in his car. It was the, the very first time I'd been in a 32 Roadster, and he wanted to show me what it was all about. And um, that single car is probably the most meaningful to me in terms of its affiliation with Gray, its affiliation with Hot Rodding, and how it's, I mean, it's still around and still going strong, which is, which is just awesome. Well, you think about the consummate quintessential hot rod is the 32 Roadster. To me, I mean, it, if, if you have to push everything away, that car is it. Yeah. Oh, I, I agreed. I mean, that's when, when you say hot rod to most people, that's the picture that comes in. Either that or a Model A on Deuce Rails. Yeah. And, you know, not some people don't can't maybe recognize the difference, especially when you hang a 32 grill shell on the Model A. But, but yeah, that's the, that is the hot rod. Awesome. So I'm going to crawl into your head, but again, I'm going to twist this up as it relates to your new book. I asked my guest this question. If you were reincarnated, manifest as a vehicle, what would you be and why? But in your case, I'm going to have to insist that in some way you are some kind of a hot rod yourself, but this isn't what you want to be. This is how you perceive all your idiosyncrasies as a human being, but it's a car. But it's a car. Yeah. And a hot rod. Okay. I'm going to have to take a minute to think about that because um, <laughs> as I thought about myself when, when we were earlier talking about these questions, I thought about myself, you know, as a car, I was thinking about more more modern or more traditional conveyances, yeah. not necessarily I know, I kind of pulled a little twist on you here, but it's got to relate to the book, I think, because, I mean, you put so much of your heart and soul into this thing and being around these cars and your whole career is around cars. So, yeah, I always suggest people think of 
okay, what kind of person are they? Are they tricked out? Are they more plain Jane? And there's plenty of hot rods that look pretty basic, but they're really, there's something else underneath, which you definitely have something underneath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I probably, now that I think about it, before Ford came out with the, with the V8 in 1932, what hot rodders had to hop up were four cylinder engines, you know, the, the Ford, what we, what we call the four bangers. And I would probably be a Model A hot rod with a four banger under the hood. Okay. Traditional, somewhat practical, somewhat thrifty, but still fun to drive, you know, and, and maybe a little unexpected. It'd probably be a sleeper kind of a car because I'm I'm not a flashy, flamboyant person in any way. I don't have much of an ego. So <laughs> I just like to just get in there and have fun. You know, and I think okay. and I think I, if if I was the kind of Model A with a built up four banger that I could spank a couple people and kind of surprise them living in stoplight, <laughs> that'd be nice. pretty all right. Good answer to that one. Now, I always ask for a great book. Obviously, today we're talking about Drew Drew's book here, a titled Hot Rod Magazine, the definitive and official 75 a year years of history. I'm going to put links to that book. Uh, if you have a friend that's into hot rods, this would make a great holiday gift. I love giving books to my friends because even if they're not collectors of books, once they're done with it, they can pass it on to the next guy and the next guy. Uh, but this definitely needs to be in your library. But is there another book you might recommend to us? And it could be a book that you've done. You know what? I, I enjoyed thinking about this, and, and I actually came up with three. Oh, if, perfect. If I may. You, yes, um, you may. One of them is called Go Like Hell. Oh, yeah, A.J. Bames. A.J. <laughs> Bames' book about that whole Ford versus Ferrari you know, era. Another one is Glory Days by Jim Wangers. Uh, Jim has been called the godfather of the GTO because he worked with the people at Pontiac to really inject a lot of, of youth appeal into that car. And then the third one is a book called Fast Company by Bill Smith. A lot of people know him as Speedy Bill. <laughs> I like all three of those books because it, it, I mean, first they're historical, but second, they give you an idea of what you can do without necessarily a lot of resources, but just a whole lot of gumption yeah. and, and belief in yourself. You know, um, I mean, Wangers was a drag racer, way back before he he went into advertising and, you know, was able to parlay that experience into what he did for Pontiac. Same with Speedy Bill. Speedy Bill was just into cars and into racing and 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 grew that into just an incredible empire. And of course, we all know about Carroll Shelby and what he was able to do, you know, the chicken farmer, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, if you're, if you're into cars and you're into history, that gives you those three books give you interesting slices of that life in different periods, different kinds of cars. But um, I think all, all pretty inspirational. Great selection of books there. So The Ultimate Drive. I always enable my guests to go on what I call The Ultimate Drive. I'm going to provide you with any car in the world. You can take it anywhere and you can be with anybody, even somebody from the past who's no longer with us. But again, I'm going to keep twisting this up with you a little bit, Drew. It has to be a hot rod. Any hot rod, but it has to be a hot rod. I'm going to provide it to you. If somebody owns it, if it was one of Bruce Myers' hot rods, I'm going to take I'm going to take it away from Bruce and give it to you. And he's got some <laughs> nice hot rods, that's for sure. Uh, what would the car be? Where would you be going, and who would you be with? I like the idea of juxtaposing historic people into modern conveyances. Mm, yeah. So if if I can stretch the the hot rod definition a little bit, like one idea I had was, wouldn't it be great? to lap Le Mans with Ken Miles in a current Ford GT. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. To, to get his feedback about the car and how far technology has gone and, and um, 
what he could do with that compared to what he could do with the original GT40s, I think would be a blast. Um, yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, he'd just be going nuts. <laughs> you know? to, to put a man of his talent into a current Le Mans car would be fascinating to see how he would stack up you know, against the, the racers today. Now, another idea I had, similar vein but completely different direction, what if I took Theodore Roosevelt to a bunch of our national parks in something like a Tesla Plaid or a Lucid <laughs> Air? Um, a, so that he could see what, what he wrought with his, you know, conservation efforts back at the turn of that century yeah. and see, you know, where we took it. But also, I mean, he was he was president at the turn of the 20th century when motorized vehicles were very primitive. And, uh, you know, to transplant him from that into the absolute cutting edge of current vehicular technology Again, just to see the look on his face and to get his viewpoint about that, I think would be fascinating. Well, you, just to take him on a drive through L.A. in the freeway system. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, probably scare him to death. <laughs> what on earth are all these people doing? Oh, my. Yeah, you look at some of the giant clover leaves that, you know, and the, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. That's a very creative answer to that. Um, I'm, I'm glad you. you did that. Well, you've taken us on a really fun ride today, Drew, and I, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with me. I want to thank our mutual friend Steve Roth at Motorbooks for connecting us. Uh, got a copy of this book, and for you listeners, I'll put links to it, but easy book to find whether you get wherever you get your books. Um, but check out Motorbooks' website because they've got so many great books, but this book is one that should be on your shelf if you love old cars and so forth. Before I let you go, could you share some words of inspiration, wisdom with us? Sure. A couple things. I, I worked for many, many years when I was at Peterson with a publisher named Jim Savis, and Jim and I were kind of polar opposites in terms of our personality, but we worked well together because of that, I think. And and one of the things that that we tried to do as a team was – we would try to under-promise and over-deliver because that sets up people's expectations for something very different than what you can actually give them. You'd never disappoint someone that way. It's so much better to do it that way than the other way around. I wish more people today would do that. It seems to have gone the opposite way in many cases. <laughs> you know, you're yeah. told you're going to get something, then where is it? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> See you later. Right. Bye. I'm having a little bit of work done around my house right now, and the contractors was talking to me today. He goes, I don't hire anybody anymore other than people that are in my family because it's just I can't find anybody that wants to, to work hard and do a good job. It's really gotten frustrating. So, yeah, let's bring that back, everybody listening. Whatever you do with anybody, you do it with under promise and over deliver. Uh, you'll make everybody's lives happier and your own. So how can people learn more about you, Drew, and follow along with you? Um, do you do anything on social media? Are you out there or is the best you know suggestion just to go buy your book? Just, yeah, go by the book. I'm, I'm not a social media guy. I mean, I have a Facebook account. I have an Instagram, but I'm, I'm not really on it. Look for my byline and hot rod. Uh, like I said, I've worked for Wheel Hub Magazine, Truck Hub Magazine. If you like magazines, chances are good my name just might pop up there. Absolutely. I'll make sure to put a link, though, so you can get your hands on this book. Uh, it's absolutely wonderful. So again, you listeners, you got to get one of these and buy a couple extra and give them to your friends this holiday season. Uh, they'll put You'll put a big smile on their, on their face. Drew, thanks for being so generous today with your time and, and popping in with me. This is a fun walk through hot rod history. Uh, I'm going to enjoy this book more and more every time I crack it open. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark, very much. I really enjoyed this. This was fun. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. 
Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!